0: And I hope you're happy also. Are you happier today than you were seven weeks ago? because we are seven weeks into a series on happiness, and by now you ought to be the happiest people in the entire Des Moines metro. You should be happy. I'm happy. Are you happy today? Yeah, so we're happy-ish today. Ha! Oh, this last week, I got to go on a date with my wife. And um, that's kind of fun to do. You know, the kids are gone. And when the kids are gone, you know, like gone, gone, like they leave home and move out and you don't think they're gonna be coming back. You look at your wife or your husband and and, uh, you guys look at each other and you're like, what do we do now? Because the kids are gone, right? We don't know what we like to eat. We don't know what we like to do. For years and years, everything we ate, everything we did was all based on our kids and what they wanted. So we now, we do, we do stuff, right? We try to figure it out. And so we went on a date. We went to Ames this last week on a date. Now, that doesn't sound like very much fun unless you're going to a ball game. We did go to the campus at Ames. We went to Steven's Auditorium and we saw a comedy show. And I love stand-up comedy. I love watching people who make a living with a microphone and a stool, and people pay them hundreds of dollars to go and see them talk for 90 minutes, and it never happens to preachers, but we don't get to work on the same sermon all year long anyway. It is different, a little bit different. But we went, and as we drove up there, you know, I wasn't sure what Stevens was going to be like. I I don't like um, hassle. I, I don't know. The older I get, I don't like to be hassled. I don't like crowds, I don't like traffic, I don't like people in my way. Um, I just like things to be smooth and I sort of gauge my experience based on how smooth things are. If I don't get mad, if I'm not tempted to lose my temper, if Joy doesn't have to tell me to calm down, uh, you know, then it's been a pretty good evening and we drove right to the campus. GPS took me right there. There's even a back way from my house to get right up to campus where you don't even have to worry about the freeway because after all, we left at six o'clock and uh, you know, there was a lot of traffic and, and whatnot. We got up there parked about 50 yards from the auditorium. Now, that's the start to a good night when you park 50 yards away. Now, it was a little bit tricky, but we took Joy's tiny little car, and when we got to the lot, the lot was full. Now, I'm probably like you are. I don't know, maybe you're not like me at all. If the lot says full, I say that's a suggestion, it's an observation, it's probably not full. Maybe somebody got a call and had to leave, so I always drive around the little thing and go in and just see for myself. They had some Porta set up for the Iowa State University ball games. I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. I'll get there quickly. And one of them had blown over into a parking place. Um, I could get around that Porta John and I could park Joy's tiny little car sort of in there and make it back out. A little risky, but we took the risk. Worked out great. So I parked there behind the tipped over Porta John. We tiptoed around the Portageon John and the accompanying mess that was on either side, made it into the auditorium, walked right up. I mean, I was so lucky that night. I went into the entrance, even parked next to the entrance where our seats were just right next to it. So I just walked right in. Restrooms were right there. Great night. I got to pick my seats. I like to sit in the back. Anybody? Yep. Some of you guys like to sit in the back back here. I like the back. I like the back by an aisle for two reasons. And come to think of it, it may be the same reasons you like the back in the aisle. If you don't like what you're hearing, you can hop up and slip out, right? I don't know. I hope That's not why you guys like the back. And the second reason is it's just more comfortable for me to sit back there. So I like to sit back there. Now, we had a spot in between my wife and myself and whoever was going to sit next to us, an empty chair, which makes it even a more perfect night because I don't like to get too close to people. I don't know. But, and there's always somebody who sits next to you, and here's where the night got a little bit sticky. Here comes a man who's a big man. Big, big man. Now you look at a guy and you're like, I bet he used to play football. I bet he was a lineman back in the day. I looked at this man and I said, I bet he is the line back in the day. (laughs) I'm not being judgmental, I'm simply being observant. He was a big fella comes over and sure enough, just like Southwest Airlines, you know they're going to sit right next to you. (laughs) Sits down, spreads out, you know. There was enough space where we didn't have to hit knees, which you're a guy you hate touching somebody else's. It's just manspread. You got to have your space. We had the space. I thought, oh, crisis averted. Not so fast. This guy apparently had stopped somewhere along the way and picked up some chili dogs or some supreme pizza or some barbecue with jalapeno or something foul because he, I mean, it got bad. And the the show hadn't even started yet. And I heard something. It's not as bad as you think. It was bad. I heard this. Have you ever had anybody burp and blow at you? They don't allow firearms in Stevens or somebody would have got shot that day. I'm a germaphobe. So far I was happy. The night was going great. All of a sudden, not happy. Didn't just do it once. (laughs) He blew it on me, not on his wife. And I looked at the guy, eyeball to eyeball. I don't care how big you are, I will hit you. And I will, I will hit you if you blow on me again. And to make it even worse, he clapped and he clapped weird and he clapped three times and he clapped when nobody else was clapping. And so this is how my night went for the first, I don't know, say 15, 20 minutes he would And his arms were so big, he fluffed the burp on me and I smelled the chili dogs and the funk. And I started thinking, what would a spiritual man do? My happiness had left the building. I started trying to apply what it is I'm teaching you guys going, I could be happy. I can be content in all things. I used to think I needed fresh air to be happy. Clearly, I don't need fresh air to be happy. Clearly, I don't need a safe living space to enjoy the concert. And I said, I'm happy I'm here with my wife. That's great. And then every time I would think about that, he would do that and it would just, I I, got to go. I reduce things down to the lowest common denominator, where finally the only thought I could hang on to was, do you know what, I'm happy because I could leave if I wanted to. And you know what, it was true. I could have gotten up and left. And so I figured out some way to be happy. And thankfully, his stomach settled down, the concert picked up, and we had an awesome night. But there was a war. I'm telling you, my attitude down. Happiness left the building. Everything I had taught you for the last, I didn't love my neighbor. I wanted to kill my neighbor. I felt like God had forsaken me and friends. I was stuck. Now, the beautiful part is I could have left. That's what made me happy. But what if you're stuck in a place you can't leave? What if you're stuck in a circumstance that you can't leave? What if you're stuck right now in a time of life that you just can't leave? What do you do when you're stuck? Can you be happy no matter what, even when you're stuck? I've been thinking about that a lot this week, talking to one of our pastors, Pastor Jared, and Jared and I were talking, he goes, you know, I've been really focusing on this series over the last six weeks or seven weeks, and he said, I've always said I didn't need stuff to make me happy, and he said, you know what, I've always had stuff, and I'm like, yeah, Jared, I've had, always had stuff too. How do you say that you don't need stuff to make you happy if you've always had stuff? Now, we might not have had all the stuff that we want, but we've got lots of stuff, and our kids have stuff, and we're born into a country that even if we're the poorest of the poor, we still have more stuff than many people do all over the world. I mean, we're really blessed, and how do we say I don't need stuff if I have stuff? How do you say I don't need people to make me happy? Friends, I haven't ever been lonely. I mean, there have been times when I haven't had all the people around me that I wanted I've never had no people. And as I began to think about it, I thought, you know, it's easy for me to say I'm happy. And it's easy for me to say, well, I wanted to discuss today, can we be happy no matter what? And what happens when we're stuck? Now, you may be stuck. You may be stuck, stuck in a relationship. You may be stuck in a job. You may be stuck without a job. You may be stuck with decisions you have to make. You may, be able to stu- you may be stuck with health problems. You might be stuck with emotional issues. You may be stuck, stuck. You might be in a place where your whole life feels stuck and there's no way out, you can't leave and you're struggling for happiness for joy and for contentment, but if you're not stuck, stuck like that, perhaps you're stuck in a part of your life where there's something in you, something about you, something going on in your life, a circumstance, a situation that you can't control where you feel stuck and it's just competing for your, your attitude, for your optimism, for your happiness you find yourself unable to be righteous, to have right actions, to have right living, to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. You find yourself sort of sour, sort of preoccupied, almost focused on those things. And so I wanted to talk to you today about what it means to be truly happy in the stuck places, what it means to be happy no matter what. So here we are in Philippians chapter one, and we're going to be in this chapter Philippians chapter one in this passage for today and then next week because the previous six weeks we've dealt with it by next week we'll be done with it talking more today about right relationships right attitude right actions righteousness and how that works itself out in the stuck places this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what's best now if you guys have been around for the last six weeks you know that we talked about love the first week we talked about knowledge the second week depth of insight that happy people are insightful people so that you may be able to discern what's best happy people are discerning people to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that was last week that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God Now, there are a couple promises that we have. The Apostle Paul makes us another promise in the book of Philippians, a little earlier chapter, or the book of Philippians, the same chapter, a little earlier, where he gives us this promise. And the promise is really important because even in your stuck places, it's something that we can hang on to. And this is what he says, that Jesus Christ started something in you. He started something in you when you became a believer, when you chose to confess your sin, to believe who Jesus is, and to follow him as your Savior and your Lord. That he begins something in you. He begins to create in you a new person. He begins to give you the strength and power to live in a different way. To set you free beyond what you felt or thought was imaginable or even possible. And as you continue to live this life, the Apostle Paul promised us that that Jesus is not going to quit. That he's not going to stop. That he completes what he began. That he doesn't give up. That he's working in your life right now even if you feel stuck. Now, let me state this a way that may be a little stronger. He's working in your life right now, especially in the places where you feel stuck. It's the stuck places that make us the most teachable, the stuck places that make us humble, the stuck places that make us realize our need for God. It's the stuck places that give us soft hearts. It's the stuck places we don't want to be, the places that we can't change, the things that we can't leave behind. But I, I know that we can be happy even when we're stuck and that God's working, faithful to give us, well, to do in us this work that we want so badly to be done. So I'm gonna take you back to a passage in the Old Testament that's my favorite passage to illustrate this point. It's one that I go back to from time to time and just because it's one that's a favorite and one we go back to doesn't mean it's one we should consider ourselves familiar with. The Bible is full of great stories. The more we study them, the more we learn. And as I was thinking just actually the other night I was dreaming, this is really weird, but I, I I don't dream about you guys very often. You'll be happy to know, but when I do, Pastor dreams, maybe it's just me, one pastor dream. It's always a nightmare, not about you guys, but the only dream I ever have about preaching is I I dream that I'm in this church that I don't recognize and it's full of people who I don't know and I have to preach and I don't have a message. And I know I got to stand up and I have to talk, but I got nothing to say, which you may think is like every other week, but it's not, at least in my own mind. And and the music guy won't stop singing. And he keeps singing and the songs keep going. And there I am on the front row and I'm freaking out. I'm always on that side in my dream too. And that wasn't this dream at all. That's just one that I had that's recurring. And the dream I had was about valleys and caves and stuck spots in the Bible. And I woke up at four o'clock in the morning and I thought, man, there's so many valleys and caves and stuck spots. So many people who are in valleys and caves and stuck spots. What's the Bible say about people who are in valleys and caves and stuck spots? and the story that really came to mind the one i want to share with you again is the story of moses when he stuck himself and how he felt like everything he had pictured his life to be the goals the dreams the answer to his question this is where i see myself in 5 years but everything changed that all of the degrees that he had, all of the accomplishments to this part and point in his life, all of the popularity, all of the practical education that came both through the battlefield and also through the classroom, all the entitlement that came as being a trusted part of Pharaoh's household where it was gone. And it would have been easy to ask Moses, are you happy? And he would say, yeah. Are you happy? Could you be happy without stuff? Sure. Could you be happy without your people? Yeah. Could you be happy? Because he had those things. And all of a sudden, he didn't. So we're going to go back to the time, back to the story where Moses was stuck I want to talk to you about four things, things that you and I need to think about, stages we have to go through to find happiness, righteousness in our stuck places. The first one is we deal with pride, which is the enemy of righteousness or right living. The second, we have to deal with fear, which is, man, fear, it grips us, and usually it has to do with the things we can't control. Bitterness creeps in when we find ourselves stuck or unhappy or unsettled, feeling that we've been wronged or something should be different, and then finally moving through pride and fear and bitterness and resentment, we hit a sweet spot where we settle into our groove, we feel God's pleasure, and we find true happiness. Those are the stages that we have to go through. These are the stages that Moses went through. And I want to walk you through very quickly this illustration. And I want to remind you that even if you're feeling stuck, God has not stopped working. That he's working in your stuck places. And there is freedom on the other side that you've never dreamed possible. So we look down together at a story and we're picking up after Moses began this charmed life. Now Moses didn't begin the charmed life at the very beginning. He began to curse life at the very beginning where he born was destined to die. He was going to be killed because he was born a Jew and he was born in a hostile Egyptian environment where they were scared of the Jewish people and Pharaoh was going to kill all the babies. And you, you know the story, you've seen the Charlton Heston movie or you probably have seen the the Disney movie, or maybe you've heard the story in church before, but he was rescued miraculously from the river by Pharaoh's daughters and he was adopted into Pharaoh's home, raised in a way that you and I, well, we would love to have been raised. All the money he needed, all the education, all the popularity, all the opportunity. I mean, he literally had any dream that he wanted. All he had to do was decide, this is who I'm gonna be, this is what I want to do, and then one day everything changed. One day everything changed for him because he did two things that you and I have a temptation to do. He forced God's timing and he also tried to force the people who God had brought into his life. When you and I try to force God's timing, we find ourselves frustrated beyond all imagination. When we try to force God's people, we find ourselves alone. So Moses looked around knowing that he was a Jew, but also largely an Egyptian, saw his people, his people were being oppressed, decided that he was going to be a deliverer. After all, he had the credentials, the resume, the background. He's the person you would have picked out of a crowd. He saw an Egyptian beating one of his people, took matters into his own hands, and he committed a crime and he hid the body. And he went from being on the inside to being on the outside in the blink of an eye. Everything that he thought would happen, his idea for the future, his picture of what his life would look like in the next five years, well, everything changed. And he found himself not only on the outside, but he found himself an outlaw. Pharaoh, who had been grooming him for the throne, now wanted to to kill him. His own people who thought he was saving, turned their back on him and made fun of them. And Moses did what you and I do in our lives all the time. He ran. Now we run from different things. Sometimes you and I, we run from ourselves. And man, we, we like to play games about this. We don't really... Like to acknowledge the honest truth of, of this running, but man, we just want to stay one step ahead of ourselves because the last thing we want to do is to come to a quiet spot where it's just God and just me, and the dust settles, it's the middle of the night, we're out in the woods, the RPMs in your life one day just kind of drop to a level where it's uncomfortably quiet and you have to choose. Do I keep running from myself or do I sit down? Sometimes we run from other people. Maybe it's circumstances, relationships that we've caused issues in. Sometimes it's just difficult people who we don't know how to handle, we run. Sometimes it's because they're too close to us and we're more comfortable being alone. Sometimes we run from circumstances in our lives. Feeling like if I run from this circumstance to something else, I'll find something better. Now, how many of us in here know you never find anything better when you run from circumstance? When you run from yourself, when you run from people, you can't find something better by trying to outrun the problems. But we do. Sometimes we even run from God. Man, we think about how that happens and how that works out in the Bible, and I think about Jonah. Oh, isn't that a famous story of running from God? Jonah ran from God, but he didn't run far, did he? He ran right to the belly of a whale where he came face to face with his own choices, and that's a different story for a different day. I'd ask you, Pastor Dan, Brandon, can you run from God? Oh, no, you can't, but we try. So Moses found himself running, and he was running to a stuck place. He had stuck himself. Sometimes we stick ourselves. Sometimes we just find ourselves stuck. doesn't matter. Principle's the same. Pride, fear, bitterness, and resentment. On the other side lies peace. When Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled. Moses fled from Pharaoh and he went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Now, what do you do when you're done running? Well, simple. You sit down. Why do you sit down? because you realize you have no other place to go. But when you sit down, we begin to face a reality, and we begin to face the reality of our stuckness, which, if we face it the right way, can be the very place and the very thing God uses to set us free, or it can be the very thing that gets us more and more stuck. Sitting down was a beautiful place to be, First thing Moses would have had to embrace, first thing he would have to have addressed was his pride. Now, I'm going to share an acronym with you that I have shared with you before. And when I share things with you from time to time, it is not because I have nothing else to share. It's because I feel like these things are the most important things for me to share. And I want so badly if you're stuck for you to find this freedom and this happiness that comes on the other side. And there's an acronym for pride. And it's one that I came up with years ago when I was teaching church planters from a few different states um, to get out of their stuck places because many of them were stuck. Many of them had sat down. Many of them found themselves frustrated and looking for what's next. And I just want to walk you through this because it's so consistent with Moses' story. It's so important. The first one was position. I'll ask you this question. Just like Moses had to ask himself this question, Moses found himself seated at a well. He was exhausted. He was done running. And so you'd ask yourself the question. I would ask Moses the question, Moses, are you in the right spot? Are you in the right position? And Moses would have said, well, I'm not in the position I want to be. Well, how many of you would say the same thing if you're being really honest. And you're stuck, place. I'm not in the position that I want to be. Sometimes we say, I'm not in the position I ought to be. I'm not in the position I'm going to be. Uh uh-uh. uh. Well, part of getting unstuck is realizing that we're in the position that God has allowed us to be. which means that we're in the position at that moment that we need to be, which means we're in the position where we find ourselves, well, in a spot where God can work with us. So Moses perhaps struggled as he was sitting by this well. I'm not in the right spot. And then, yep, I am. So what's next? Such an important question for you to ask yourself. One that I ask myself when I get stuck. And the next one we find right here in this story, the next one is R in this acronym PRIDE. It's RESPONSIBILITY. And here's what I want to ask you. And this is what Moses had to to look at in his own life. Responsibility is super simple. P, is am I in the right spot? Yes, I'm in the spot. Second is, am I going to do what it is that I can do and not focus on all of those things that I can't? things I think I should do, the things I want to do. What is it I can do? Let's look back at this story together. And I want to show you what Moses did. When Pharaoh heard this, of course, he tried to kill him. Moses fled where he sat down. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. These seven daughters came to draw water and fill the troughs uh, to water their father's flock. And some shepherds came along and tried to harass them, right? They tried to drive the women away. But Moses got up and he came to their rescue and watered the flock. Now you may say, so what? As a matter of fact, I say, so what? At the very beginning, reading this for the very first time or even rereading it, and then I thought about it and I thought, Moses wasn't a water getter. He wasn't a flock gatherer and feeder. He wasn't uh, wasn't even in, in the woman saving business. He was just a guy who found himself moving from royalty, who had people to feed animals and soldiers to save women and other folks to do things that were less important. He found himself in a spot where he only really had Two choices. And so he did what it was that was in front of him. He did what he could do, not obsessed over what he couldn't do. Now, I don't know if that speaks to you, but it certainly speaks to me in my stuck places. What do you do? You do the next right thing. Well, how do you know what the next right thing is? Generally, it's in front of us. But oftentimes, we won't, can't choose not to. Too simple, too hard, whatever it is. Well, Moses chose the R. In pride. Now the next one is really important. The next one is I and it's something you and I need to remember and the I is very simple. It's this, it, I-T, it's not about me. What do you mean it's not about me? We aren't the central character in the drama of life. We're not the stars. God's the star. We're supporting characters and he's working behind the scenes in people and circumstance. It's not about me. Can you look yourself in the mirror and honestly say to yourself, life is not about me. It's just not. God, what is it you're doing and how is it I can be part of that? Boy, that's a mature place to be, supernatural place to be. It's the stuff Paul prays about. It's the stuff of righteousness and we see it here. We see God working behind the scenes. Moses thinks he's stuck. God says, you're not stuck. Your heart is becoming soft. And that's where I work. And so let's move forward in this story and see how God's working. All he did was get water for some animals and and save a couple of women who were in jeopardy from some shepherds. And then the girls returned to their father. And he asked them, why have you come back so early? I guess they got hassled every day and they had to to stick around until the shepherds left. And they answered an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered his flock. Now, so what, right? No big deal. Nice thing happened, ladies came back early, got a few extra hours in the day, Uh uh-uh. God is working, it's not about us. And where is he? Rule asked his daughters, why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. So Moses agreed to stay with the man and then there is a lot that must have happened In this time, I don't understand how the Bible is just so brief. It's painfully brief. It's like, give me a comma, a dash, a colon, something. Because you go to somebody's house for dinner and they give you a daughter. I mean, it doesn't just happen just like that, right? It's like, yeah, I got an extra daughter. Why don't you take one on your way out? That's how we got a puppy not too long ago, but not how you get a wife. Um, That's what happened. He agreed to hang out with the guy for dinner, got a wife a new people what do you know he didn't have any people all of a sudden he's got people Zipporah his wife gave him a son Moses named him Gershom and this is what Moses said I have become a foreigner in a foreign land still struggling I'm not in the right spot I don't know what's going on it doesn't seem to be comfortable for me I'm sort of out of my depth I want to go home but God's working. Maybe you feel like a foreigner in a strange land, but if you're at the spot where God has put you or allowed you to be, you're doing what it is you can do and not focusing on what you can't, or struggling but also grasping the concept that life is not about me, then we see, well, another important principle, and that's the D in this acronym. Now Moses settles into a new life, As Moses settles into this new life, and the Bible, again, is painfully brief, uh, there's a word here in verse 23 where the Bible says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. Sometimes stuck places can last a long time. Matter of fact, most of the time, stuck places last a long time. Whether they're part of our life that's stuck or the whole life that's stuck, they seem to last forever. This stuck place lasted 40 years, the book of Acts tells us. He was stuck, stuck. But he was adjusting and the D in this pride acronym, P-R-I-D-E is to determine to stick it out as long as it takes. No matter what it takes. And that's what Moses was learning. I can't force God's timing. I can't force God's people. I stick it out. For how long? I don't know. It's above my pay grade. God's the one who controls the timing. God's the one who controls the circumstances. And this is what we see. This man is learning to be useful to the Lord. Determined to stick it out. Because it's right. It works in marriage. It works in parenting. It works in our employment, with our friendships, with our commitment to our church. It works, but so many times we don't. What do you mean determined to stick it out? I'm gonna run. We never settle, we never sit. But we see Moses sticking it out. Well, the story picks up, again, painfully brief. During that long period, the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites, they groaned in their slavery, and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Now, don't get confused about went up to God. God hears all everything. It's a way for us to understand, for humans to understand prayer and stuff, but God hears everything. It doesn't go up and down. and, and, and You know what I mean. God heard their groanings, and he remembered his covenant to Abraham with Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Why? Well, the Israelites were stuck too. They were stuck, stuck. Moses was stuck, stuck. They were learning to be useful to God. They were moving through their stuck place. But Moses, what he didn't know at this point is God was in fact working in people and circumstance. And just like everything was taken from him in an instant, that everything can change in a supernatural instant. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself because that's the E in pride. E is to always expect a miracle. Everything in your life can change in one supernatural instance. But it's this process of letting go of our pride and learning to settle ourselves that takes us to this point where we can recognize the miracle. The stuff you have in your life, the problems challenges, everything can change in one supernatural instance. My Bible is full of times where I see people who had no hope all of a sudden filled with hope, who had no solution all of a sudden get an answer, who had no purpose all of a sudden become purpose-filled. And this story that we're studying, it's no different. Moses had settled himself into a groove, but it was the groove of familiarity, the groove of shepherding, the groove of doing the same thing over and over again for 40 years. And i have this picture in my mind of Moses. You know, when you leave for work, your kids, you know, they hug your leg if they're little, and your wife will give you a kiss on the cheek or whatever, and off you go. You drive out, right? I have this visual of Moses walking out. Maybe it's in, like, let's say, I don't know, the 10th or 12th year of him doing the same thing over and over and over again. And he looks over his shoulder, and he sees the little town that sort of sprung up. Sees his wife and kids waving. Sees these scraggly little sheep following along behind. And I can't help but see a smile on his face. Him looking up to God saying thank you I think he found happiness even though he was in his desert the desert by the way the Hebrew word midbar means to speak or extrapolated means God speaks I told you in the stuck places these quiet times expect a miracle because friends everything can change in one supernatural instance let's finish the story Moses was tending the flock of Jericho, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led this flock to the far side of the wilderness. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. And he said, huh, that's unusual. So Moses thought, I shall go over and see this strange sight. Why does this bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Everything in Moses' life changed in one supernatural instance. Now, we work through pride, but if we're not careful, we run into something next, which is fear. You and I understand fear. We, we get it. I don't have control, I'm not quite sure what's happening, the stuff I had is gone, how am I gonna take care of myself? And we have to struggle with fear, we've talked a lot about it. Pride will rob you of your happiness, your righteousness, fear will rob you of your happiness and your righteousness and then as we move through fear and realize we can't control anything, that we don't know the future, that God really does care for us and care about us, then we move into this next stage and it's a smoldering, subtle, bitter resentment that I really deserve better, that I got the short end of the stick, that something's just not right. And you, you, you'll get there if you're not there. And you move through that. And you say, you know what, God, it may not have been fair in my mind, and I wish things were, were different, but you're still God. I want a soft heart. I want a humble spirit. Then what comes next? What comes next is happiness. That sweet spot where you find yourself lined up with God's purpose for your life. And you see some things you never thought possible. But it's not for your glory anymore and not for our plan. It's for God's. So, are you happy no matter what? That's my question. Are you happy in your stuck places? Are you wrestling through these times of life? Because if you're not in one, and you haven't just come out of one, chances are you're going into one. God is a God of the stuck places. And happiness is the gift for those who choose to serve him. Father, thank you for my friends.